Good morning. This my name is Stephen. I'm an elder here, and wow, I've even got the voice of God this morning. All right, um, we are continuing our series called Hot Seat. This is where you guys submitted questions, things that you thought were stumpers, hard to answer, and wanted some answers. This week, actually, the questions are so hot, I'm not even going to sit down. I'm going to stand. <laughs> I'm not going to take a seat. Last week, Al went through some questions about salvation. Like, can you lose your salvation? What about people who have never even heard of Jesus? What happens with them? And if you're interested in that, we have it online on our website. Um, We have the whole message recorded, and you can listen to that. And today, I'm going to tackle three questions that aren't necessarily related to each other, but I'm putting them all under the heading of, does the Bible really say... Does the Bible, because we got some great questions from you guys about things that, you, that the Bible says. And the first question I'm going to answer, and I'm once again ask the beautiful uh, administrative assistant of the church, who happens to be my wife, to create some symbols for me. The first question is, was the earth really made, and was the life on it really made in seven literal 24-hour days? So I've made a little globe, or <laughs> I've made, she's made, she's made a little globe. There's a symbol of that. And the next question is really kind of a difficult question. It's, does the Bible condone slavery? Does the Bible condone slavery? I've got a symbol of handcuffs. And then the last question, my goodness, I smiled so big when I saw this question. It said, so when you become a Christian, you've got to become a Republican, which I thought was a fantastic question. So I've had this uh, as a symbol. And we get questions because people ask us questions, people ask me questions about the Bible. And I think it's really important when someone asks you a question that you know what the Bible actually says. Because sometimes when you get a question posed to you, the thing that the person says will be either sort of out of context or have little elements of truth or might be completely wrong about what the Bible says. An example I have for like when you kind of sort of describe things based on facts, but it's not really right. I found, and I love this, from 1990, it was a a fairly popular movie, and this was the description. It said, transported to a surreal landscape, a young girl kills the first person she meets and then teams up with three strangers to kill again. Anybody have an idea of what that was describing? Wizard of Oz, Oz, right? (laughs) So it is true that somebody died, but it's not really true that she killed. I mean, so it was a description that had pieces of truth in it, but it wasn't, it really, really missed the point, right? And that happens with scripture as well. You may have heard people say, as the good book says, the Lord helps those who help themselves. Is that anywhere in the Bible? Absolutely not. In fact, it does say that the Lord helps us, but not for helping yourself. The Bible encourages us everywhere to put other people before ourselves. So that's kind of a common misunderstanding. And so it's good if someone were to talk to you about that, you say, well, actually, the Bible never really says that. And then sometimes people are just plain wrong. I have a friend who has on Facebook, I, I haven't spoken to him in a while in person, but It's kind of gotten very ranty of late, okay? It's kind of gotten very ranty. And a person that I believe was a person of faith made a comment, and he, in his ranting, kind of said back, yeah, you can say that, but where would we be if Jesus hadn't spoken against the Roman governors? And I said, he did what? You know, he did, he doesn't speak against the Roman governors at all. In fact, 
It was surprising that he didn't because the Jews were expecting someone to come and throw off the rule of Rome. And that's not at all what Jesus did. And that doesn't mean that the person is like lying. It's just they don't know. I'm just saying it's good to know what's in the scripture so that when people have questions, you can help answer them. And it's, we think of the Bible as the most important foundation. Al said last week that the Bible is our guide, and I think throughout the Hot Seat series, you will see that the Bible is our guide. And the most important thing in that Bible is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, right? Life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is the most important thing. The Bible even says, if Christ was not raised from the dead, our faith was in vain. It is the most important thing. And as Christians, we do not believe this is a quaint thing that gives us a reason to have Easter, right? We believe this is historical, real truth that the God of the universe came as a man, was, lived a perfect life, was crucified, and rose again to pay the penalty for our sin. And because of this, this belief, this truth influences how I'm going to answer all of these questions, right? It influences my understanding and interpretation of the questions. And I've kind of shown here that the questions are small relative to the cross. Because if I'm talking about the creation of the world, I already believe the miraculous, right? That's not a step I have to cross is the miraculous. We can talk about what the Bible is saying about creation, but I already believe the miraculous. When it comes to slavery, you know, I'm going to try to put my preconceived notions aside and listen to what Jesus (laughs) says to me, because I believe he came and died and rose again for me, right? And also when it comes to like Republican, Democrat, I think that ends up relative to the death and crucifixion and resurrection of Christ being a very, very small issue. But this certainly colors. It's not that I turn my brain off. It's just saying that this is foundational to how I believe and how I answer these questions. I certainly believe, for example, with the first question, that things happen that are outside of nature. So our first question is, does the Bible say that God made the earth in seven literal 24-hour days in 168 hours? Going to answer that question, I want to first of all look at what the Bible actually says, and I will talk about the first day of creation in Genesis. It says, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and then he separated light from darkness God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning, the first day, right? So the other descriptions of creation in Genesis are similar. There's an act of creation, then he says that's a day. And what I'm going to say is I do not believe that represents or has to represent a 24-hour day. Just as in English, we use, we use the day word day to mean three things. It can mean like daytime as opposed to nighttime. It can mean 24 hours, or it can mean an era or a period. Like when we say back in my day, there was a lot of Duran Duran on the radio, right? (laughs) Believe me, that was not just 24 hours. That was a long time that we got to hear the reflex every single night. Um, But day in Hebrew, in which this is written, can mean multiple things. And I think here it is talking about a period because We've got to think about the purpose of this creation story. No matter what our creation account, no matter what we write here, it's going to be simpler than the actual act of creation, right? It has to be simplified. I'd like to give an example. When I was um, of a simplified story, 
when I was seven, I remember sitting in my parents' bedroom watching TV. Um, it had a TV most of my friends here under 30 wouldn't recognize because there was no remote. You had to... But um, there was a miniseries out called The Body Human. The Body Human, and it was about the science of the human body. And this led little seven-year-old me to ask my parents, where do babies come from? Now, for those of you who have met my parents, you probably won't be surprised at this. My parents believed in talking to children as if they were adults. So my explanation was not, Mr. and Mrs. Bunny go into their cave. <laughs> it was something that needed a Marvin Gaye soundtrack. I mean, <laughs> it was... <laughs> the seven-year-old me was freaked out. But this is how they believed it. They talked about, you know, what, what does God say about it? They talked about all this, but it was very graphic. I was not really the same after that discussion. And what you could imagine, although it isn't true, what you could imagine is that maybe another seven-year-old, because of that series, asks their parents, where do babies come from? And their parents did something that was fit for purpose for their kid and gave a simpler version, maybe with the bunnies, right? I mean but gave a simpler version. And if I had compared notes with that child that got the simpler version, I would have thought, because I've always been a stickler for exactness, I would have thought, your parents told you incorrectly. My parents told me the truth because they told me the whole thing, right? But it's not true that their parents were, said something that was inaccurate. They did something that was fit for purpose in a simpler in a simpler version. Just like if a doctor who specialized in that arena were to listen to my parents' version, that doctor would probably say, well, that's sort of what, but not exactly right. But yet my parents was not wrong, right? It was fit for purpose. And just like when we think about what was the purpose of that, it was certainly not that at seven I was going to go act on those instructions, right? They were telling me about what it is for future. In the same way, God's purpose in giving us this is not an instruction manual so that we go out and build another earth, right? The purpose is to tell us that he designed and created the earth. The purpose is to tell us that we are on purpose. What did we sing this morning? I am not forsaken, I am who you say I am, which is designed and loved by God, right? That is the purpose of the creation account. You are not an accident. You are not a chemical accident, as evolution and naturalism would tell you that you are, that you're just this cosmic accident, right? So I don't believe that it has to be a 24-hour day. It's, it's, it's the word day, which in Hebrew as I say, it can be used to mean a period of time. It's used in other places in the Bible to mean a period of time. And I like this question because I think a lot of people ask questions about it. And maybe you've had someone ask you about it. And one of the things I think that as we have wisdom about people asking us questions, you should ask yourself, is the answer to this question really important to them? Is this the real issue? Is it the case that they are thinking, I can believe the cross and the Jesus thing. It's just the 24-hour days that's messing me up. I think it's a rare person. Some may be like that, but I think it's a rare person for whom that is the real issue. Because the people that I've had ask me that question are not 
super sciencey in general. Like it doesn't seem to be their general interest. What I think can happen is I think people can have hurt in their life and can use, well, you know, that whole 24-hour creation thing. I, I can't believe that. Um, I think they can use that as a way to tell themselves, I'm not going to think about the rest of it. I'm not going to think about the fact that there is evil in the world. I'm not going to think about the fact that I know I have done things that are wrong and I'm guilty, right? So when you have a person ask you this question, what I would do is think about why are they asking you the question? And if it is the case that you think it's probably an excuse, there's really no need to sell them on science, right? Because they might have a hurt. They might have another issue. You got to love them. You got to love them where they are. I had a friend in high school tell me, you will never argue someone into the kingdom. You will love people into the kingdom. Just something to think about as people ask you questions that sometimes the questions are a bit of a, a front or something for other issues that they have really deep. If you are interested in this topic specifically about creation, there's a really good book that I'd like to recommend. It's called Seven Days That Changed the World. Seven Days That Changed the World by a guy called John Lennox. And if you're interested in a little more details about evolution and specifically about why I think the earth is designed, because the chance of life on a random planet actually ends up being much smaller than we thought when I was a kid back in my day, when Carl Sagan was doing Cosmos, it's actually pretty unlikely to have life on a planet. I did a talk uh, called Soul Activity Week 5, March 26, 2017. You can find that on the website. Um, it, it will tell you also, um, uh, give you a lot more detail on uh, evolution. By the way, uh, we also, if you ever miss a service, we do Facebook Live. So you can go back and check out the Facebook Live if you want to. Okay, so the next question I have was, I think, my hardest question, and that was, does the Bible condone slavery? Does the Bible really condone slavery? And I think that this is a difficult question, because in North America, slavery was a wound that was violently opened 400 years ago and still bleeds a bit today. Yeah? It is a very difficult topic and there's a lot of sensitivity around it. So um, I want to remind you that this text was written 2,000 years ago, not 400 years ago. I think it still applies, but I'm just saying this was written before any of the advent of North American really anything. Right? It was written quite a while ago. And I'd like to ask you just to keep uh, an open mind to what the scripture actually says, because I think it is a m big misinterpretation to say that's, that the Bible condones slavery. In fact, my answer to that would be um, no, it doesn't condone slavery specifically. It, it gives instructions to people who are in Christ who happen to be slaves. So let's look at the, uh, what the scripture actually says. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. So here it says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one 
for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. So I think it's easy to take words out of that and make this claim that the Bible condones slavery. Like I think it was easy enough for that guy to make the description of the Wizard of Oz, right? But I don't think that's what it's doing. First thing I'd like to ask everyone to notice is this came from, um, this came from a part in the Bible where Paul is giving instructions to Christians on how to live a Christian life. It is not giving a general instruction about what society should do. There are lots of instructions to Christians about marriage, about, about parenthood, about other things that are instructions. Here is how you live your life so that others see Christ in you. And the Bible instructs Christians throughout that they are to behave and respond in joy and love when they are treated poorly. It says that we are to respond in love when we are treated poorly. I'm going to look at what I think is most, the, perhaps the most famous example of this. Turn the other cheek, right? So let's put this up. Maybe you've heard it, maybe you haven't. This is from Matthew. This is Jesus talking. And this is very serious. I'd like you to look a bit because I'm going to give, for the first time, I think, a little pop quiz. Maybe it's, no, I've given pop culture pop quiz, but I'll give one about the Bible. It says, I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. So my serious question today, is this verse condoning cheek slapping? Look at the words. Oh, can we have the, can we have the verse stay up? Yeah. Is this verse condoning cheek and saying it's okay? I don't think so. What does it call it when a person does it? It's a word in that verse that starts with E. Evil. He says, when people do evil to you, turn the other cheek. It is not saying that it's right (laughs) to slap someone on the cheek. Christians are called to respond in love when they are treated poorly. What did Jesus say on the cross? People who were mocking him causing him unbearable torment. He said, forgive them, Father, for they don't know what they're doing. And we are to respond in the same way. It is, it is counter-cultural. It is counter-cultural, this idea of turn the other cheek. My parents were new believers. I was still taught, if somebody hits you, you fight back, right? Or I think most of us are, I mean, maybe you're not, but may, many of us are taught that. Turn the other cheek is a revolutionary idea. And it sets Christians who implement that apart from others. There's another account in the Bible in Acts 16 of Paul and Silas, who through their testimony about Christ and through doing works for God, were illegally flogged, beaten, and thrown into prison. This is in Acts 16. And there was an earthquake, it says, and the, chain, the jail doors came open and their chains fell off. And the jailer woke up and realized, uh-oh, because Rome did not take too kindly to your prisoners getting out. And so he was ready to kill himself because of what would have happened had they discovered it. And Paul yells out, we're still here. 
we haven't left. He was there illegally. He was there for a bad reason. He was treated poorly. They did not leave. And in Acts 16, it says the result of that was that the jailer's entire household followed Christ, came to a saving knowledge of Christ because of Paul's actions. It says everywhere in Scripture that Christians are to respond to bad behavior with love, with joy even. Hard to do. And the amazing thing about this verse that I think gets even deeper is that the slaves that are being spoken to here, they're Christians. They're Christ followers. They're equals. They are being spoken to as an equal member of the community of Christ. Listen to what Ephesians 6, 9, the following verse says. It says, And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. The Bible is very clear. Slaves are full members of the body of Christ. They happen to be slaves on earth, but they are full members of of the body of Christ. And he's giving instruction to them just like he does everybody else. Bring your masters with your actions. Bring your masters, Lord. Let people, let your boss, let anyone who is over you see the love that you have. Galatians 3.26 says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Right? Your earthly position is temporary. Paul was in prison. That is a temporary thing relative to the knowledge of Christ. The instructions to the slaves show their value, that they were equals. So no, the Bible is not condoning slavery, but it said to the people of that day, if you find yourself in this situation, conduct yourself so that the people around you see Christ's love through you. And I will say that while these are the instructions to an individual, Christians throughout the ages have fought against oppression because they know the value that God places on the individual who is made in the image of Christ, who Christ died for. William Wilberforce in England was an enormous force in getting rid of slavery because he saw the evil that was being done. So this part in the Bible is not talking about a societal um, good or bad, it is talking to an individual Christian and saying, just like anybody else, act in a way that the people around you see the love of Christ in you. Put yourself second and put others first. Just like I say to husbands, just like I say to wives, just like I say to children. This is what I believe the Bible is saying about slavery. So I do not believe that just because it has a message to slaves, it is condoning slavery. So the last question I was asked to talk about today, and I just love this, is when do you become a Christian, do you also have to become a Republican? 
It's a great question. My answer is an emphatic no. Absolutely not. Jesus himself was very specifically apolitical. He did not really deal much with politics. In Matthew 22, some Jewish leaders were trying to trap Jesus into saying something that would get a crowd stirred up against him. They said, so is it right that we're paying taxes to Rome? And he kind of, you almost imagine that he sighs. He says, why are you trying to trap me? Take out an image of a coin. Bring me a Roman coin. Whose image is on that coin? And they say, Caesar. Okay, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God, right? Didn't say Caesar was evil. Didn't say, just said, you know, we're apart from that. Do what they ask you to do. I also, I know that I have uh, probably brought this up too many times because it's something that's always stuck with me, but uh, in Matthew 8, there is a Roman soldier who comes to Jesus and says, I have a servant who is very, very sick. I need him to be healed. And Jesus says, I will come with you. And the soldier says, oh no, all you have to do is give the command and he will be healed. I know this because I know how authority works. And Jesus says of the Roman soldier, truly I tell you, No person in Israel has greater faith than this guy. This is the Roman soldier. This is the instrument of oppression of the Jewish people, right? The instrument of um, um, occupation. I think it's probably a better word. Occupation of the Jewish people. He doesn't say, you'd be awesome if only you weren't a soldier, right? No. He says, greater faith than anyone. Jesus, to me, was very removed from politics, very removed from politics. And so I do not feel like there's any instruction that you have to follow um, one side or the other. I will say that when we talk about wisdom, I do think that politicians on both sides of the political spectrum in the U.S. will talk snippets of Christianity to get your vote. I do think that they will talk little bits. When I hear people say things... I sometimes, what I ask myself is, is the Bible, is your faith an authority for you any place else except election day, right? I want to know, are you saying this because what's important to you is the Bible? Or are you saying this because it's an easy thing to say? I think we should have wisdom that way. And that applies equally to both sides. I just, I think as Christians, we should be paying attention to, you know, what is the motivation for bringing the scripture into it? Um, it's also good, once again, to know what the Bible says. It's really good to know what the Bible actually says. Years ago, a politician said, in answering a question, as the Bible says, where your heart is, there will your treasure be also. Now, those of you that know the scripture might realize he flipped two words when he said that. The Bible verses, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And what that meant is, I can tell what's important to you by where you spend your money, right? If you say God's important and none of your earthly treasure goes toward things of God, then it's a bit of a contradiction. But what this politician was saying was essentially, Follow your dream and God will bless you financially, (laughs) right? 
where your heart is, what you're passionate about, there your treasure will be. And that's not what it says. And I think it's important to know what the Bible says, to try to have some wisdom when you hear these things. And I will say what does concern me of late about politics is I see more and more people using politics as a reason to hate somebody, right? Person says one thing, like, well, if you believe that, you must believe this, you must believe this, you must believe this, you're a terrible person, I can't even talk to you. And I think what's clear in the Bible is that that, if you're doing that, you're doing it wrong. Because the Bible says clearly we are to love one another. Philippians 2 verse 3, it says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. I feel like there's something ringing over here and I feel like I'm walking. Is it, you know, at the airport when you walk and it makes that ding, 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 ding. I keep thinking, how will I move? So it says, do nothing out of selfish or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. If you are hating someone because of their politics, you're not putting their interests above yours, right? I strongly encourage you, first thing is loving people. First thing is loving people. If you want to talk about what's the best way to accomplish things with the government policy, whatever, that's great, but it's got to be a basis of love, right? If it's not, don't go to the politics part if it prevents you from the love. That's one thing I really encourage you. And the other is we are encouraged to pray for our leaders. 1 Timothy 2 verses 1 and 2 says, I, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all Godliness and holiness. We pray for the leaders. It does not say there, at least not in my version, pray for the leaders you agree with. (laughs) It says pray for your leaders. And I think if you happen to disagree, that's when you pray harder for your leaders. It says that we are to to pray for them. So summarize my three questions of... Does the Bible really say, does it really say seven, 168 hours to create the world? I don't, I don't think so because of the use of the Hebrew word that can mean more than just a 24-hour day. And because of the purpose of having the creation account in Genesis or what I believe the purpose is. We are not forsaken. I am who you say I am, which is loved by God. Second question is, does the Bible condone slavery? No, quite the opposite. It says that slaves are equal members of the body of Christ. And all Christians, no matter where you are, are called to respond to people, treat them poorly with love, with divine love that transcends what the world's natural response to that would be. Finally, does the Bible come anywhere close to saying you have to be a Republican? No. But I encourage you in this trying political time, to be light instead of darkness, to show love to others, to say, we, you know, Christ has loved me, so how you think about politics doesn't matter to me. What matters to me 
is you and where you are with God. That's my prayer for you today. Thank you. I'm going to close in prayer, and then we're going to have Adam come uh, give us a brief word. Father, we just thank you for your scripture. We thank you that it is a guide to us. We thank you for the, that you are God who says, ask the hard questions, uh, and you're okay when people have doubts and questions. We just pray that as people that we run into have questions, that you would give us grace, that you would have us show love. We pray that you would, when we are treated poorly, that you would enable us divinely through your Holy Spirit to respond in a way that shows them that we love them because you first loved us. And we thank you for the week in front of us and pray that we can be your messengers and we can be light in this world that can sometimes be very dark. In Jesus' name, amen.